brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Stove Leg Media. Igniting conversation. Okay, guys, I am your host, Elena Grace. This is I've Been Thinking, and I come to you today to start a new series that we're going to be doing on Patreon about true crime case. Okay, anyway, about true crime cases that haunt me. So today, um, we begin. Now, if you know me well, you know one thing, that I'm a huge true crime fan, which is kind of weird because if you know me at all, you know that I have been the biggest scaredy cat ever my whole entire life. Literally, my whole life, I have been, I'm scared of the dark still to this day, okay? But even as a little girl, I loved watching like 60 Minutes and Unsolved Mysteries and stuff like that with my dad's mom, my Granny Bonnie. She was the only person I'd watch it with, though. I guess I felt my safest with her. I don't know. But nowadays, I obsessively listen to true crime podcasts. I love spooky stuff. Still not huge on scary movies, but I love spooky stuff, you know, ghost stories, that kind of thing. And I love hearing about these horrible things that happen to people. I think it's the mystery that fascinates me. The, you know, oh my gosh, how did this terrible thing happen? Why did it happen? All, all of those things. So, I have a few true crime cases that have stuck with me more than others. And I want to do a little series. It's going to be very intermittent, just kind of mixed in here and there, but I want to talk to you guys about the true crime cases that stick with me the most and why. Now, this first episode is absolutely one of my biggest. Like, this one is so 
important to me for whatever reason. It is the Sumter County Does. Now, if you listen to Crime Junkie, which I do religiously, you'll have heard of them before. I'm going to highly recommend that you do go listen to their episode on this, honestly, because I'm just going to give you a very high-level summary here. I'm not going to do a 40-minute episode on it like they did where I deep dive into the whole thing because, honestly, they've already done it. And just, I'm not trying to be the next true crime star. Go listen there. Um, but I want to tell you why this sticks with me so much. So, in August of 1976, a trucker finds a young couple shot to death on the side of a rural dirt road in Sumter, South Carolina. Each victim had been shot once in the throat once in the chest, and once in the back. They carried with them no ID, and other than the fact that they are very unique in looks for the area and have incredibly unique jewelry on, they could literally be just anybody. So when I say very unique in looks, they look honestly South American of like, South or Central American, so Latina, Latino, and um, they are kind of tan-skinned, um, darker hair, and the girl is wearing very high-quality Southwestern-style jewelry, so she's got this big, beautiful silver ring on. Um, it had a black stone in it. I don't remember if it ever said what kind of stone. She had some beautiful turquoise jewelry on. So that's not cheap, but also it's very common out west and specifically in the southwest. And then the guy had on a ring also with a stone. It kind of looked like tiger's eye or something like that to me. I didn't look super hard at it, um, but I didn't find where it had specified the stone anywhere either on that one, um, but he had on that ring, and it was engraved on the inside, and then he had on a very nice watch. Again, I don't remember what kind of watch it is. I know I'm useless, but again, listen to the Crime Junkie episode. I swear they tell you these things. Um, but in that episode, they actually talk about how this is a really nice watch company and um, it's the kind of company that would keep their sales on file and be able to track the serial number of the watch to whoever bought it. But the sales and serial numbers from before a certain date had all been, like, destroyed or lost or something. So they weren't able to get this guy's watch matched up with an identity, unfortunately. So, um, a witness comes forward to say that on August 9th, he heard a car driving down the dirt road where their bodies were later found. He reports hearing gunshots and says that he heard a car speed off towards the main road after the gunshots. 
basically this witness kind of thought it was weird, but it's a rural area. So, like, it could have been a poacher. You know, there's lots of options. But, or even it could have been a bunch of kids being little shits. But it's it was still weird to him. It still stuck out. So, unfortunately, these two human beings, these two people, remain unidentified to this day. Their descriptions and sketches of their faces have been sent across the United States, as well as their fingerprints and dental information. The male, referred to as Jacques, actually had some very unique dental work done that only certain dentists at the time performed. So you'd think that that would be super helpful in identifying him, but really didn't do anything for us. Um, And the Sumter County Coroner, Verna Moore, she literally worked on this case until her retirement in 2009 because she wanted it solved so badly, but still yet nothing So, a little while after the bodies were found, a man who claimed to have known the couple from the campsite that they were staying at came forward, stating that the man is named Jacques, and he thought that he was French-Canadian. Now, for a while, this kind of went back and forth between Jacques, like J-O-C-K, like, oh, he's a Jacques, and Jacques, the name. So, but, um, and depending on where you read about it, it goes back and forth. But I really fall in the, um, stand of thinking that he is French-Canadian, honestly, or that his family is. And so, I call him Jacques. Um... So, he said that he had met the girl as well. This witness says that he had met the girl as well, but he never learned her name. They just kind of hung out, like, at the bar or whatever at the campsite and drank a little bit and talked. And he says that Jacques had told him that his father was a well-known doctor. And kind of backing this guy's story up, the man, Jacques, His ring was engraved, like I said, with the initials JPF, which supports the theory that his name might actually be Jacques. So, very, very, very minimal information around this case. Like I said, this is just the highest level overview. But all of it, it just gets my little mind racing. There's so much mystery here. But also, one of the things that gets me the most is that their families seem to have not looked for them at all, which is insane to me. And it breaks my heart, too. But at the same time, if they're not American, but they, you know, died in America, maybe we just didn't know that their family was looking or their family didn't know where to look for them at all. You know, if they're from Canada or Colombia or both, wherever they're from, 
maybe their family didn't know to freaking look in South Carolina. You know? Now, I will say that in the end, in a kind of beautiful turn, their bodies were eventually interred in a Methodist church cemetery in Oswego, South Carolina. Hundreds of people attended the service, which I just think is so sweet because these people, I mean, they died together, but they died alone and nameless, and that's sad enough. But that's the kind of situation that you'd expect them to go into the ground alone and nameless as well. But instead, they were seen off by hundreds and local law enforcement agencies banded together to raise money to pay for the funeral expenses, which I just think is so sweet as well. Their grave markers read male unknown and female unknown. Which, I mean, what else do you expect? But this is exciting. In 2007, they were exhumed to obtain DNA information. And they're currently, like right now, being actively tested by the DNA Dove Project. So I truly hope that their identities will soon be found and made public because this is just I mean I love the mystery but at the same time I want them to have their names you know so this sticks with me because there's so many possibilities here you know there's this theory that like they were drug runners and that's why they were traveling around so much and there's this theory that Jacques was the son of a big shot Canadian, like, doctor or dentist, and then that's why he had this unique dental work done, and he decided that he wanted to be a nomadic hippie, and his family didn't support it, so he went off on this jaunt. And either took his girlfriend with him or met a girl along the way. And his family was just not supportive and they disowned him. And that theory kills me. Because how can you freaking disown your kid for something as small as wanting to change professions or go on a road trip? I don't know. That's just, that's too uptight for me personally. And then there's also like, there's this conspiracy theorist part of my brain that's like what if they were spies or something what you know it's the 70s it's there's not a whole lot of crazy stuff going on right then you know I guess in terms of politics lots of other crazy stuff but that doesn't mean there's no spies coming into the United States you know what if they were discovered and that was some kind of hit. Or what if there was some other kind of hit? Like I said, what if they were drug runners? Or what if they got mixed up with some of the wrong people? And then there's also the very mundane theory that what if they got carjacked? They picked up some hitchhikers being good Samaritans. They got carjacked and robbed. And the carjackers shot them on the side of the road. You know, that's really sad. 
But personally, I think based on the fact that they were shot in the throat, the back, and the chest, it seems very much like a hit because it's so like bam, bam, bam. So there is that for me. But I want to tell you, so, so, you know, so all of these things, the mystery, all of the questions, all of the possibilities and theories, that all gets me. But I want to tell you what stands out to me the most about this case and why it sticks in my brain literally all the time. I think about this all the time. Their jewelry was so unique that it is considered worthy of you know, being an identifier for their bodies. Because of that, because I am a crazy person, I wear, I mean, I always wear kind of unique jewelry anyway. I don't like wearing just whatever everybody else is. But I literally, most of my stuff, I wear my monogrammed bracelet that I've had since I was a small child all the time. I do not take it off unless it's like a very small amount of time because if I die, I want my freaking monogram on my body so you can say, oh, AGC. Oh, you know what? This girl named Delana Grace Campbell went missing. It's probably her. And then I have other very unique pieces of jewelry. I always wear this um, silver and turquoise piece that my dad brought me back from Iraq. And, like, you can look at my bracelets, you can look at pretty much any of my jewelry and say, that's definitely Elena. My bracelets especially, because they're very, like, very unique. Because, and that is because of this case. Like, I wanted to make sure... After I heard this, I already had my kind of signature pieces that I wore a lot, but I wanted to make sure that I had unique pieces that I wore all the time so that if you ever found my body, you'd know dang well it was me. Because I, I'm just, it breaks my heart that these people are still unidentified and I don't know. I just, I guess I don't want that to be me. I don't want my family or my friends to have to go through that tragedy. So, anyway, off my soapbox. I hope y'all have enjoyed hearing about the case that haunts me, our first of many. And I hope you come back for more because I am really going to enjoy doing these. (laughs) All right. Thanks again for listening, guys. Bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.